The following podcast is a discussion between two experts in their fields of beauty and not meant to be taken as medical advice. Be sure to consult with your doctor if you have any medical inquiries. right ages for a facelift and I'm noticing a lot more callers are younger so in our, we talk I've, I know you, I noticed you mentioned the sweet spot is maybe about 50 to maybe like late 60s for a facelift do you say yeah I think the sweet spot really depends on the, you know each person mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think the sweet spot is first of all I think you kind of want to know hormonal status mm -hmm. um, so it's pre peri and post so mm -hmm. it's pre-menopausal mm -hmm. perimenopausal and postmenopausal and there's a trend right now in, in doing facelifts on patients who are premenopausal. Mm -hmm. And so patients in their sometimes 20s, 30s, um, early 40s, I'm not a big subscriber to that just because, you know, if you're doing surgery on someone who still hasn't seen those changes, um, they talk about preventing aging, preventing things from happening, but you haven't seen those changes happen yet. Um, the sweet spot tends to be around 50 because that's happening when patients um, and I said that not because you're 50, Ramon. She's like, <laughs> like, I am not 50. Oh, don't tell anyone I'm 50. I'm trying to keep it a secret. Um, but it's, it's 50 because um, it's right around that time when most women, not all women, but some, most women are going to start to see those changes. And they're going to see enough changes in their neck, enough changes in their face, where it's going to be a worthwhile endeavor for them to kind of you know, go forward and, and make that change. Um, they're starting to see um, their photographs change. And... Um, it's not so traumatic when they make this change that they're going to get the uh, they'll get the longevity of this. They'll enjoy their fifties, and they kind of look the same. They really don't have this transitioning from going from twenty something, thirty something, forty something to now this completely different person in fifty something. Um, I know a lot of women fear that um, they're like, "Hey, I've looked the same my whole life, and now I look like this different person," and that's what I see. Maybe because of what I do, but that's probably the biggest fear. Um, I've heard a lot of talk from women, um, younger women, maybe in their 40s, that are talking about mini facelift. What is a mini facelift? Um, you know, a lot of this terminology gets thrown around, like a mini facelift. Um, so um, the classic definition of a mini facelift is a short scar facelift. And that's where instead of going all the way back behind your ear, you're going to shorten your scar and just try to go in front of your ear or just go behind your ear, but typically not both. Uh, so the mini facelift is going to be kind of an early intervention facelift, um, a maintenance facelift. And again, my philosophy is I don't love doing facelifts on 20s, 30s, 40s, um, early 40s. Um, mm -hmm. There's some patients who are early 40s who could be candidates, but the exception, not the norm. Mm -hmm. um, but the mini facelift is a small scar trying to lift the face up uh, to prevent aging. But that's usually going to happen in a pre um, menopausal, not a perimenopausal patient. Okay, very interesting. And I also seen a lot of online chatter about how your facelifts are different than a lot of other surgeon facelifts. What makes your facelifts different? Um, so I think there's a couple things that when you do a facelift, what um, can distinguish you from your colleagues? So I, I combined a few different elements from different surgeons, and um, I think the combination together, to me, makes much more anatomical sense. So if you're talking about the face, Probably the biggest term that people talk about when they're mentioning what type of facelift they do is, am I doing a deep plane facelift 
versus you know a smash facelift. Um, so everyone wants to be a deep plane facelift, right? Who what is a deep plane facelift? Uh, so the deep plane facelift. So um, if we're talking about that, so the deep plane facelift is when you go so theoretically deeper into the face. So classically with a deep plane facelift, instead of going superficially over the skin, you're going to go underneath a layer in the skin and try to dive deeper to kind of lift things up okay. and create a much more natural result. There's a weakness though with a deep plane facelift. And the weakness is, um, and here's my theory, um, and which is not my theory, it's, I, I can prove it anatomically, is we have this muscle in the neck, the platysma muscle. Um, in the paper I wrote in 2005, the muscle actually goes from the neck into the face. And so the deep plane kind of ends underneath the platysma muscle. So once you go closer to the nose and the mouth, what happens is you are no longer in a deep plane. You're in a different plane. So if you try to go there, most people will end right over here. And they say they call it a deep plane. But even if you look at deep plane results, they fail to lift this area and they fail to affect it. So what I do is I go deeper than a deep plane in the middle of the face. By going deeper underneath the cheek, you're going to begin lifting what's, what's fall down physiologically. Um, so that's why I think it makes more sense anatomically. Again, much more challenging anatomy. Uh, I think doing a deep plane, which is challenging in its own right, um, um, limited number of surgeons who actually do a true deep plane. But then if you go deeper than the deep plane, that's where I think you can realize some really nice results and still restore things to how they were um, embryologically. I think we all are familiar with the facelifts of the 90s and the 80s. They almost seem prehistoric now with the technology that we have and the more that we know about facial anatomy. What do you think the main difference between those early Joan Rivers facelifts and the ones that we do today? So if you look at Joan, bless your heart, um, she uh, she had most likely a skin-only facelift. And so what happens with that is the skin looks really, really stretched. And so what the doctors do is they elevate the skin all the way here to the corner. And they're trying to pull the skin. And they might put a few deeper sutures through here, but they're really not lifting up the deeper level. And so what happens with the skin is they pull it. The patient typically is disappointed. And this part of their face starts to look wider and white and waxy because it's, mm -hmm. not, it's not normal. It's not how we look when we're younger. And so that patient typically is disappointed because it didn't affect this middle part. And so what they do is they go back to a surgeon or another surgeon, and then they repeat that process over and over again. And the skin looks worse and worse. Ears start getting pulled forward. Um, skin looks really glossy. And things look tight, but they're still, even with all those facelifts, um, they look kind of tight here, but they never really even affect the middle part of the face. Um, so th the difference now is, again, going deeper anatomically into those other areas. And I think we always talk a lot about women getting facelifts, but now I think that we've come to a place that men are now taking better care of their, their bodies, their health, their skin care. I've seen a lot of male facelifts as well. Are you familiar with, do you do a lot of male patients or? Um, a decent number of men, and I think that, in general, women just take care of themselves better than men. And I say that in general because um, men are less likely to see a doctor, less likely to get a checkup, less likely to take medications. Yeah, they may work out, but even when they work out, they're working out purely for aesthetics, not for health. They might put some muscle on, but they also might you know, take care of other things and do the cardio and stuff like that. Um, 
my women patients tend to be um, really, really involved health-wise. But there are some men who are, are an exception. And the ones who really take care of themselves physically, um, they're the ones you're going to seek out getting a face and neck lift. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a growing number of men who are doing that. And this can be a kind of a game changer. I think women and men, uh, but especially um, uh, men who are in that corporate world, but I think women too, um, where they can look a certain way and they start to get dated. And um, once they start looking um, like their late 60s, early 70s, um, there's an ism that people don't talk about. That ism is called ageism. And they look at them and they don't feel like they can operate a computer, how to turn things on, even though they have this vast amount of experience. And um, so with men, I think it's really advantageous for them professionally um, and in multiple levels. Would you approach a uh, a male facelift differently than you would a women's facelift? Um, Or are muscles different? Are our faces um, different? Anatomically, um, there's a lot of similarities, obviously, because you know, um, you know, men are going to have the same issues with muscle and all that. But aesthetically, there's going to be a difference. In men, we really want to create this strength through the jawline and more of a squareness versus a V-shape here in this jawline. I think with the face itself, uh, with men, it's almost always I'm going to be focusing on the jawline and creating this really strong angle, this thing called the gonial angle, which is that angle that's right underneath our ear, that end of the mandible, and then also creating this highlight through here. Uh, with women, I want to do that, but not quite make it as strong, but also lift up that cheek and highlight the cheekbone. Most men do not want their cheek light, uh, cheekbone highlighted. So it's mm-hmm. going to be focusing mostly on the lower part, getting rid of the skin on their neck. They're able to tie, put a tie on. They feel better about that, but not creating a pull look. So men are going to be a, um, typically, not always, going to be less of a, a lift in the cheek area. Mm, interesting. Are there any other maybe procedures or treatments um, you would recommend or that you favor for men to sort of stay younger and feel younger? So it's a thing that, um, again, it's going to be skincare, lasers, um, uh, and then keeping up with surgery when they need surgery. I'm a big fan of lasers. I do this with myself, um, and I don't laser myself. I have someone in my office laser me, but um, getting lasers frequently is... uh, nice way of treating that first layer in your face, the skin. And by doing lasers frequently, you can really keep things tight, tight along your neck, tight along your face, that hopefully uh, the elasticity in your face, now your other layers are going to still sag, but that elasticity in your face can really stay tight enough so that um, you won't look as old as um, um, your chronological age. Do you have a favorite laser you would recommend? Ooh. That's a tough question, but for most patients, um, if there's a laser I'm going to do and laser I'm going to recommend to them, it's probably my favorite laser right now. It's a cool pill laser. And what it does, um, and you've experienced this laser too. It's like, yes, I'm no stranger to the cool pill. (laughs) Um, What it does, it's going to be a superficial CO2. CO2 laser is kind of like this classic older laser that was only really for patients who were like of the lightest skin tones. Anyone else, they were going to have a problem with. And what this laser does is it sort of incorporates that technology, but it allows you to um, treat every skin tone. And it has almost no downtime. So you get all the benefits of that CO2, um, just not without the side effects. Interesting. Um, Again, we we mentioned you you are a multicultural practice, so it's really very cool that you have a laser that can treat all skin tones. 
Yeah, I think that's that's the world we're in. We're we're in a uh, you know myself being um, multicultural and uh, my wife and a lot of our um, staff come from all over, and that's what we're uh, about. It's um, treating all skin tones and coming up with solutions. And so I'm always encouraged by um, device makers who come up with products that treat everyone versus devices that are um, very uh, exclusive. I think that I'd like devices that are more uh, inclusive.